morning, everybody. It might not be morning for you, but it's morning for me. So, good morning. I am really excited to hop back on and continue where we left off. This is episode three of Enter the Void, but part two of my musical journey. So, let's jump right in. Last time we left off with a little bit of information on when my family moved out of state. So if you haven't heard part one, you should listen. But just as a recap, um, I went through my early years of creativity and how that displayed itself, like in short story writing and drawing, using my imagination outside, things like that. Um, That naturally flowed into poetry, and when I figured out that I could play the piano by ear, that naturally progressed into writing music. So that the latter part of that happened very quickly, and it was amazing, but it also was terrible, <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. So uh, fast forward, you know, uh, sophomore year. So I started writing very beginning of freshman year, sophomore year. Most of the bullying that I had dealt with my entire life was, uh, not completely non-existent, but it was definitely a lot less. And, uh, I welcomed that. And then just as things were starting to get good, just as I was starting to, to make some more friends. You know, like I said, um, I wasn't getting bullied at school as much. I was getting more mature, you know. I was I was uh, 15 at this point, I think. And my family moved out of state. It was very unexpected. Um, I had lived in Missouri my whole life, aside from you know, where I was born. I lived there for about two years, but yeah, um, moving out of state was, was a surprise. And man, that was a, that was a tough time. So I I was leaving everything I had ever known to come to this place that was very, very foreign to me. Uh, the state that we moved to, actually, I would love to describe it for you and see if you can guess what it is. We'll play a little game. So I grew up in Missouri, rolling hills, forests everywhere. Um, the first hint is as we were driving into this state, it looked like a different planet. All right, that's hint number one. Hint number two, I quickly discovered that 99% of the people out there were obsessed with Disney, that does include Star Wars, 21 Pilots, and sports. Um, Oh, and every kid drove two cars somehow. (laughs) Like, again, I'm coming from a, a very, like, very poor background, and I'm surrounded by these kids my age that of course, are older than me, but in the same grade. And they have like 
two cars to choose from to drive to school. And they most of them were like pretty nice. Definitely a culture shock. If you haven't guessed what the state is, it is Utah. If you have lived in Utah before, you probably guessed it immediately. If you haven't, then um, I don't blame you. But yeah, thanks for playing. So we moved to Utah. It was in St. George. And the plan was, I'll talk more about like the the social aspect because I right now I'm, I'm focusing on my creative journey. So basically I was still writing music. I started junior year at this uh, high school that was about four or five times the size in number as the school that I came from. I came from a class of maybe 120 in in Missouri, and I ended up in a class of like five or 600, I think. So this was just a totally different ball game. And it was, yeah, I mentioned culture shock. It was real. So at the end of the last episode, I talked about how I went from being recognized for what I did. Um, you know, it wasn't not, not like celebrity status or anything. And still like I was probably invisible to most people, but like I was being recognized by some people that I, that I thought didn't know I existed. And it was just like, it was good to feel seen. And I went from just getting that after years and years of feeling invisible and unwanted. I was getting some sort of recognition. Then I moved to this huge school. It was huge to me. There are still bigger schools in like California, but it was a pretty big school. And it's all taken away. I am a nobody. I am clearly like fashion wise, I'm I'm behind. I've always been behind in fashion. I think I I am very like averse to accepting trends. I do not like trends because I'm I'm scared of them. I want to know for sure that I like something just because I like it and not because everybody else is liking it. Perfect example. Stranger Things came out my senior year, I believe. And everyone was talking about how amazing it was. So good. Stranger Things this, Stranger Things that. And I was like, I am absolutely not watching this show. <laughs> like, no way. Um, maybe someday, but definitely not now, right? Um, another example is joggers started. Bec- I, I noticed the, the trend of joggers my junior year. Uh, there was a guy that I went to church with that was in my grade. He wore joggers, and I thought they were the stupidest looking things. I thought they made you look so goofy. Now, maybe that was unfair. I think they just looked goofy on him. (laughs) But either way, I saw that trend starting, and I was like, nope, no joggers. Not going to wear joggers. Like, Part of me like understands why I do this. You know, it's like, like I said before, I want to know that I like the thing for what it is and not because 
everyone else likes it. Um, and I also don't want people to like, I don't want to look back on myself and I don't want other people to look back on me. And the only thing they think of is, oh, like, yeah, he was doing the trending thing when it was trending. I don't do it because I want to be quirky. I just do it because I care about like being genuine about what I like. So, but then on the other hand, it's dumb because like some trends are cool and like sometimes it's cool to, to participate in them. Not cool as in like you'll be accepted, but just like it's fun to participate in a trend because it might be gone forever. It's like you shouldn't get a tramp stamp now, but it was cool at one point. <laughs> and maybe people don't regret getting a tramp stamp because they got to participate in that wave of um, regrets. So anyway, I'm getting a drink. The reason why I bring this up is I was behind in fashion uh, per usual. I was, I don't know, there was a certain level of like social maturity that was out there. Um, there was a lot of immaturity in other ways, and I'll dig into that another time. But there was a band in this school. They wrote music. I think it was three of them. Uh, like an indie band. And honestly, like they were pretty good. Um, way better than me. <laughs> they were better at singing and playing, uh, writing, lyricism, all of it. They were just better. And I was invisible again. My music was cheesy and juvenile. Theirs was more refined and mature. Um, there was no shot at, you know, making the talent show. There were some people that I would run into that, you know, they would maybe hear me playing the piano uh, in my free time at school because I didn't really have any friends at this point. And it's like, what else do you do? I'm, I, I don't want to eat lunch in the cafeteria around all these kids that, again, back to square one, act like I don't exist. I tried to make friends, and most of the guys were just dicks to me for no reason. And uh, most of the girls, I, I don't know, maybe they were on high alert because most of the guys in that school were a bunch of F-boys. I don't know, but either way, didn't really have many friends. So I would play the piano in the auditorium uh, you know, at lunch in my free time. Um, sometimes I would make free time, you know, and just in the middle of class, I would go play the piano just as a little escape because like this was really, really difficult. I was really struggling to cope with this move. So a couple things. I was in a theater class, um, my again, junior year at this school, and I'm really glad that I did that. I got to do I believe two plays that year. Maybe it was just one. I think it was one big production. Uh, it was called Aida. And it's uh, this story that takes place in ancient Egypt. Um, so just for reference, I played Sonny Latieri in Greece my freshman year back in Missouri. I was a freshman. And most of the cast was juniors and seniors. 
uh, for obvious reasons. I mean, we're talking about greasers. Like, it'd be a little too cute to have freshmen play greasers. So, but I I made it. I played Sunny, and I think I did fairly well. Um, I you know I kept up with the seniors, and a lot of the seniors liked me. Uh, <laughs> so that that was cool. Um, of course, you know, the parallels are everywhere in this story because in this school, I had no shot. My junior year in Utah, like, I had no shot at getting a lead role. I tried. I auditioned. Um, just no shot. Like, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with my skill or my lack thereof, but, you know, there was definitely some... Uh, favoritism and you know just a lot of clickiness going on and yeah so I did get a part in the play but I was basically just an Egyptian guard and I would stand there with a scowl on my face and I would just stand on stage I was basically a body to warm up the room so um it was kind of a cool role I got to like move some of the sets around and just basically uh, be angry, <laughs> just stand there. And I had to, I got to do my own makeup. So I would do this like red scar across my face. I think we did five performances, but maybe it was just three. So anyway, I was, uh, yeah, I went from being able to get a lead role freshman year to just like nothing junior year. And that was tough. So I continued writing music throughout this year. Um, you know, I, I made the mistake of writing a song for a girl that I had just started dating. I really don't think she liked me. Um, I don't know why she said yes. I don't even know why I asked her. But I wrote a song for her, and I was going to show it to her, and she said she'd meet me in the auditorium during lunch. And she stood me up. So that sucked. Um, I felt like things were repeating themselves. So yeah, I I just got turned down. Uh, she didn't show up, made up a bunch of excuses. I never got to show her that song. And looking back, it probably wasn't all that great. <laughs> Something about her blue eyes and sunshine or something um again i was like 15 going on 16 so yeah that's pretty much the extent of my creativity that year now there was one time i was in choir oh and i, I did choir that year i forgot um yeah so I, I stayed in choir throughout high school uh there was one time i was playing the piano in a side room that attached to the choir because we had some free time and uh there was this girl that came in and she was like whoa you're really good what are you doing she was like actually genuinely like most kids at this school would just like mess with you they'd be like they'd be yanking your chain oh oh you write another song they'd just be like total assholes about it but this girl was like genuinely interested in what I was doing and she just kind of sat she's like can I sit with you and I was like uh yeah 
and um, she was just really nice and uh, she had this fun energy and I was like, wow, this is refreshing because most people here are just really pretentious and, uh, you know, have their nose turned up and this girl was like really down to earth and, and genuine and she was asking me about my music and so I, I played a couple songs and uh, we just clicked and around this time I, I had made another friend, um, a guy friend and the crazy thing about this is this girl was actually going to a different school, but she had went to the school I was going to the year prior. So she was just coming back to say hi to some friends, uh, just like stopping by. So the, the chances of us like running into each other are like so low. It's crazy. Um, and, and there's no way she would have thought to talk to me unless she heard me playing piano and liked it. So, um, we became very unlikely friends, but, you know, really good friends nonetheless. And so me and my guy friend, um, apparently like he kind of knew this girl and, um, you know, obviously her and I were becoming really good friends and she was like, Hey, I go to this other school and it's a performing arts high school and you guys should go next year. And I was like, huh, anything to get me out of this hellhole? Yes, please. So I was asking her questions about it. And yeah, there was a, a small performing arts high school. It was uh, much more comparable to the size of my uh, school in Missouri. It was actually quite a bit smaller. And it was a charter school. So you kind of had like a lottery system to get in. Um so yeah, after a year of junior year, just going through a lot of things religiously, uh, kind of the start of my religious awakening and uh, dealing with bullying again and just, you know, all this stuff. I was like, oh man, like this school is going to be my saving grace. So I, you know, I uh, entered into the, oh, what did you call it? Yep, can't remember. Entered into the thingy that they do to choose people, and I got chosen, and so did my friend uh, from my school, and my my girl friend that introduced us to it. Uh, obviously, she was already going, so she got to stay. So senior year comes up, and um, I was excited. I was like, dude, this is going to be fun. I get to just like immerse myself in the arts and learn some new things. And uh, it was a smaller school, so I was a little more comfortable. And overall, it was better in, in almost every way. I took a music theory class. None of that clicked in my brain. I, I tried to understand it. And maybe I could understand it now. Cause I think over the years, like since I've graduated, I have developed a more analytical mind. Just, um, yeah, but man, back then all of the math and stuff that correlates with music theory, that was not, uh, not my cup of tea. And it, I just really didn't understand it, but I took a music theory class now, this school is in a canyon. It's really, really cool. So it's like surrounded by these huge 
uh, canyon walls of sandstone and, you know, all these like desert plants and, uh, it's just like really pretty out there. It was, it was crazy. Like I said, it felt like a different planet. And every day I would, you know, go into school just like marveling at the, at the setting that the school was in. Like, it's just crazy. Everyone else seemed like it was normal to them, but I was, uh, definitely inspired. So I started taking photos with my phone because it was just so pretty out there and that was inspiring. So I had a little like a little photography Instagram for a little bit just from my phone and <laughs> you know the the photos were like over edited and all this stuff. I did get a couple really good photos and I miss my Google Pixel. That is what I took the photos on. Um, and that was a great phone. So anyway, I I took a music theory class and I also took two different theater classes. I was like, I'm going to load my day up with as much art stuff as I could. Um, I joined the men's choir. I joined the regular choir. And yeah, so I want to talk about the two theater classes because this is interesting. Um, one of them I think was just, I think it was called Theater 4. So it was like the most advanced uh, theater class aside from one other, and I cannot remember, it was it was a really weird name for it. But anyway, I was taking the most like advanced regular theater class, and then there was one more that was more like interpretive and like abstract, and I was taking that class as well. So I was really happy to, to do that because you kind of had to like, fill out a form and I think you had to audition like some sort of little audition. It, it wasn't like most auditions, but, uh, n it wasn't just anybody that could get into theater for. So I made it, that made me happy. Um, you know, I was doing men's choir and regular choir and that was, that was a lot of fun. Uh, the choir was just, it was just a lot better. Um, there was definitely a lot of drama senior year, and I, I was the the reason for quite a bit of it. Um, but there, you know, there were some other contributing factors. So, at this school, I started a little, um, a little music group called Chapter Zero, and it consisted of the two friends I've already told you about. Um, both of them would sing. And then uh, her brother, he was beatboxing. And then my girlfriend at the time was playing the violin. Um, I don't know if I could confidently say that we were actually good. But looking back, like, I think if we had practiced, we could have maybe done some cool stuff. We just... It was hard to all get together and, and do things, but I would play the piano. Um, there was one time where we, I think it was for a school talent show, we played a song that I wrote, and then we played a cover. Yeah, we played a song, Just Go, that I wrote. Um, not that not that amazing, but it was decent at the time. And uh, yeah, we also did a cover of Adam Lambert's Better Than I Know Myself, which is actually a really good song. If you haven't heard it, look up 
Better Than I Know Myself by Adam Lambert. And imagine five, uh, five seniors performing that uh, without a whole lot of practice. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I continued writing music throughout senior year. Um, I think a lot of the like drama and emotional turmoil, like this year was actually in, like kind of insane. I was like always sweating. Like my armpits were always sweaty because I was so stressed. Uh, I couldn't do anything about it. We wore uniforms at this school. So it was like this, it wasn't a super strict uniform, but you had to wear like khakis. So shorts or, or khaki pants and these uh, branded polos and uh, nobody looked good in those polos. But the reason I bring that up is it was like artistically very good for me that that senior year, but uh, emotionally it was rough. It was just really, really, really rough. And again, I I would love to dive more into that and just talk about my experience, but I'm going to save that for later down the line because I think I want to, uh, I want to do something different after this episode. So I continued writing music. There's a song that I wrote that I really like, actually. It's called Need You to Stay. Um, I like the, you know, the melody. Every time I play it, it makes me want to cry. Um, it's because I, yeah, I, I made a pretty big mistake, and I regretted it, and I hurt somebody that I really cared about. And I wrote a song about it. And yeah, to this day, I have not, I haven't been able to do anything with it because I just don't know if I should. Um, I don't know if it's really up to par with, you know, the other music that I'm making. But either way, I did have a pretty fruitful year of writing music. And so at this point, I had about 50, like, well-defined songs, like, you know, throughout from freshman year to, to senior year. And I think with, you know, all of the, uh, all of the demand of my time from like church and school and things like that, I think that's a pretty decent amount of music. Nothing like the Beatles, but still decent. So (laughs) yeah, I had written about 50, 50 songs. Um, the last thing that I haven't mentioned that I want to mention from, you know, my creativity senior year is a music production class. Now I believe I started taking this class in the second semester. So this was one of the best things I ever did. This music production class was chill. The guy that was teaching it, he wasn't technically a teacher. Uh, He was just a, you know, a local producer and, you know, he was a young dude. He was maybe like late 20s, uh, early 30s at the at the oldest. And he was just chill, you know. And like most of us that were in that class, there were a couple that were just doing it for the credit. But most of us in there were genuinely interested in making beats, you know, just like learning about music production. Um, it was intro to music production. So the software and hardware that we were using, it was called Machine Micro. Um, if any of you know, you know, music production, you've probably heard of native instruments. They do a lot of plugins and 
really cool hardware like beat pads. So the software is like the program on the computer that you're using to create the music. And then the hardware is like the physical thing, uh, like a beat pad, a keyboard is hardware, a, uh, yeah. So hardware is like physical software. It isn't. So the software and hardware was machine micro, um, or machine was a software and machine micro was the little beat pad. And so there were these windows computers and we would all sit down and he would just teach us these little techniques um, I don't really, I don't think I got a whole lot of like songwriting value out of that song or out of that, out of that class at all, really. Um, and I didn't really learn a whole lot about like actually making beats because, um, you know, there's just, there's a, like 15 kids in there and like, it's everyone, everyone from freshmen to seniors. This is how small the school was. There's like 15 of us in there and it was a mix of freshmen and seniors and juniors and sophomores. But, uh, my point is I was opened up to the idea or the, the possibility that I could make music on something other than just a piano. And that was crazy because up until this point for, you know, nearly four years now, I was, just writing in quotations on the piano. So this was like opening up a whole new world for me where I don't just have a piano to work with. I can have, I can have drums and strings and guitars and pads and all sorts of cool things that you just can't get with a baby grand. Um, don't get me wrong. But I would write my best music when I was playing a baby grand piano. Um, that is still true to this day because there is just something about like the natural raw feeling of a baby grand over like a keyboard or an upright that just can't be matched. Um, and then grand pianos are just a little too much. I don't know. I don't know what it is. If you write music and you've never, and you play piano and you've never written a song on a baby grand, you're missing out. So you should definitely head to your nearest piano store and, uh, try to plank some stuff out before they kick you out. Um, so yeah, this was opening up a whole new world for me and it was, it was really, really cool. I, um, very soon after joining this class, I actually bought my own machine micro. So I bought a keyboard for myself for Christmas. It was like $700. And then I, and I, I was working at Old Navy and then Texas Roadhouse at the time, by the way. So I bought myself a keyboard. I bought Machine Micro. And my friend's mom, the you know the friend that I told you about before, she had this older iMac. It was like a 2008 iMac. And she had it. And she knew I made music. And I just, I always saw it sitting there in the living room never being used. And I, you know, I asked her, I was like, Hey, what do you like, what do you do at home on the computer? And she was like, I never use that thing. And I was like, are you serious? And she's like, yeah. She's like, do you want it? And I was like, want it? She was like, yeah, like you could make better use of it than me. And so that was like a huge godsend. Uh, yeah. She gave me the, the 08 iMac 
Was it old and clunky? Yeah. But did it work fine? Yes. It, it was enough for me to be able to start practicing producing. So I bought Machine Micro. I took that thing home. Um, I set everything up. I didn't really use the beat pad a whole lot. Um, I still don't to this day. We have this little MIDI controller with uh, a little keyboard and beat pad, and I just never go through the trouble of, you know, linking the samples to each beat pad, but I really should because it's really cool and it helps with your flow. So this is where things started to um, define themselves a little more because or like things started to get a little clearer as to how I would make music from here on out because I actually, I didn't have a microphone, right? So you can't like sing. And most of the time when I would write things that were, you know, more emotional and personal to me, it would be on the piano, which is fine, but I didn't really have a good way to, to record it. So, and, and the other thing is I didn't really know anything about the music production world. Um, I learned, I basically just learned about a gateway in the, the class that I was in and that gateway was machine micro. I would sit down and produce like cinematic tracks. Um, and the thing that started this was, I, I'm just now remembering this. We had a project in theater. Okay. It was in the, uh, it was in the more like interpretive abstract class. And we had a project where, wow, I totally forgot. We had a project where we had to, uh, just write a, a a story, and and perform it, and it was supposed to be like a little interpretive. It's hard to like explain what we were learning in this theater class because it was just very like, again, it was very abstract and up for interpretation. And maybe look up on on YouTube like interpretive theater, or. Actually, even better, if you're able to get to your phone right now or your computer, look up Hotel Cassiopeia, H-O-T-E-L-C-A-S-S-I-E-O-P-E-I-A. I think that's how you spell it, Hotel Cassiopeia. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, maybe that'll give you a better idea of interpretive theater, but either way, I decided to work on this project with, uh, I think there was just one other guy, if I'm not mistaken. And he was in my music production class. And so it was actually a really cool idea. And maybe I will tell the story someday. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to, going to have to save that. Actually, no, we can do, we can do part three. So this, this uh, piece of theater was actually really cool. It's called Subject 147. And the cool thing about it was we were, we were allowed to go anywhere on campus to like perform this, this piece of theater that we, that we made, right? Which was really cool. We had total freedom to just go pretty much wherever and, and do it. So there were these two shipping containers that were kind of in a, a V shape 
that were just right down outside, um, out the door from the, the, that was one of the hallways. Anyway, small school again. So these shipping containers were really cool and, uh, you could actually like shut the doors on them. They had these like, uh, not a barn door, like a garage door that would open and close. And the premise behind this was, again, this is interpretive. This is really weird. But using music to bring someone back to life. <laughs> it sounds really goofy, and maybe it was, but I remember it being pretty epic. Um, <laughs> so there's this scientist who's been studying, like, the energy that comes from sound waves, especially sound waves that are in harmony, so music. And he's been studying it for like his whole life. And he's, you know, researching all these breakthroughs about music and how it affects the, like the energy in our bodies. And he, um, his mom just died. And he has been doing these experiments on people. Uh, this is kind of just like a, a coincidence. But he's been doing these experiments on people to see if he can like reanimate them using different frequencies like in music. And it's kind of like a mad scientist story, right? So subject 147 was me. Uh, the guy that was in my music production class, he was the mad scientist. He even had the hair. He had like this crazy afro and it was really cool. Um, he was the mad scientist, right? And he's desperate now because his mom just died. He's been doing these tests on these people. And so he basically like he's running out of time, right? Because bodies decompose <laughs> and his mom just died. And so he is doing this one last ditch effort experiment on subject 147, where he is going to throw everything he has at this, at this corpse and try and get it to like reanimate. And the way that he's doing that is he has it in a holding cell, which was one of the shipping containers. And he himself is in the other shipping container. And we had like a, uh, I'll explain how we, how we did it. But anyway, he's trying to reanimate me. Right. And so I was sitting in a chair and the audience was, we had set chairs up uh, so that they could see, you know, both shipping into both shipping containers. Cause again, they were, they were in a V shape and the entrances to the shipping containers were pointing inward. So the audience was kind of like in the V if you will. It sounds really weird. So he had his laptop set up and we had uh, like a Bluetooth speaker in the shipping container I was in. And we both produced the soundtrack for this piece of theater. And it was really, really fun. And it was cinematic. And I remember the, the main track and I'll explain why it was the main track in a second, but like, I just remember it being so epic and I had so much fun making it and being able to like act while it was playing. That was awesome. So yeah, we, we produced the soundtrack for this and basically 
the way that the piece of theater goes, just in case you're interested, is I start sitting in this chair, right? I'm dead. It's very clear that I'm dead. My, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm dead. And <laughs> there was like makeup and stuff. I was sitting there in the chair and this guy would play the first track and the tracks basically started with experimenting with different emotions, right? So like one track would try to evoke sadness. One would try to evoke like curiosity, etc. And so, but they would also get more intense as they went along. And he was able to actually get me to make some movement, right? He was playing one that was displaying curiosity or trying to evoke curiosity. Um, invoke? I can't English today. So I was sitting in the chair, the track would start and my finger would twitch, right? And like seeing this from the audience, it's kind of cool because as they've been getting seated, I've been sitting there like completely still. Um, long story short, I become more animated throughout the, throughout the, the set, whatever you want to call it. And, but I'm, I'm not really like fully alive yet. So he goes to his last resort, which is this track that is like just really intense. It's got these, uh, really intense guitars, but it's like very, very cinematic. And the best way that I can explain it is that the intro to this podcast is actually very similar to that, that piece of music that I produced in senior year. Uh, so if you want to hear the whole track and kind of get an idea of what this piece of music sounded like, you can go to Spotify or Apple music or anywhere else that you listen to music and look up, uh, Disconnect EP by Nolan Void, or you could just look up Fence Sitter Cinematic Edition or Cinematic Version. And the beginning of that song is very similar to the piece of music I, I wrote back then. That's where I got the inspiration from. So, anyway, just a very intense, like dark, almost hellish sounding track starts to play. And I immediately like perk up and my eyes open. And I'm like getting, it's getting really intense, right? Cause I'm, I'm a dead person, but I'm like coming back to life and it's like really creepy to watch. I like grab the garage door, I throw it down and I shut it and I basically like bite one of those blood packets and have like blood coming out of my mouth and like get a little bit of blood on my shirt and I start like ripping my shirt a little bit and this music basically turns me into this like this monster of sorts i'm still human i'm still dead but somehow i'm alive right so this this the combination of these frequencies that he's been researching for years actually works it brings me back to life but it works a little too well because i'm basically what happens is i throw the door open now that like everybody sees me while I'm in there, they see this guy panicking, right? He's like trying to figure out what to do. Um, and I'm like ripping my shirt in the meantime and doing all this stuff. Then I throw the thing open and I look at the audience like dead in the eyes and just stare for a second. 
And then I like snap my head to the side really abruptly and I look at the scientist. And in order for me to get out of the shipping container, I actually have to clear this like gap. For some reason, there was like a, a four or five foot drop and about like three or four feet out that I had to clear. The shipping container was like teetering precariously on, on the edge of this like hill. It was really weird. Anyway, I, on all fours, <laughs> I like jump out. I land, I clear the gap, I land on the ground, and then I run over and there's, so there's a table kind of blocking the entrance of the, uh, blocking the entrance of the shipping container, okay? And I run over to kill the scientist. He has a, one of the blood packet thingies on the back of his head, all right? I run, I jump, I completely clear the table and I do this like crazy animalistic Superman punch thing. And we had rehearsed this, of course. And I punch him right in the head and it hits him so hard. He flies back. He hits his head. I don't actually punch him, by the way. He hits his head on the back of the shipping container and the blood goes and like splatters on the back of it. It's brilliant. I just one punch kill this guy and the music is still playing. It's like really intense. And then I, uh, after I kill him, I like look around and there's nothing that interests me in the shipping container that he's in. So I like jump back over the table and I look at everybody one more time and then I run off. And then what we did was we produced this, uh, kind of like a news a news outlet snippet where we overlaid all these things from these news outlets that were talking about how um, there was this unstoppable like person that was just like wreaking havoc on the city and it turns into kind of like this uh, prologue to an apocalypse of sorts <laughs> so uh, yeah it's pretty crazy anyway I'm gonna leave it here that was uh, a little bit of a tangent, but I hope you enjoyed the story. I'm going to continue this in part three, where I'm going to wrap up senior year and talk about my creativity there on out until now. Thank you for listening, and I will see you on part three.